So we are talking this month about the idea of sanctuary. And for me, I cannot start a conversation about sanctuary without talking a moment about Onekama, Michigan. In fact, about 40 years ago now, my grandparents' generation of the family bought a plot of land in the woods outside of the little town of Onekama. My great uncle Jack went to a failed real estate development outside of Chicago and asked what they were doing with their model homes. They said, that we're tearing them down. My uncle Jack said, well, if you're just tearing them down, um, why don't you let me tear one of them down? You can take a tax break uh, because we're going to use this material for a camp for troubled youths in northern Michigan. The troubled youths were, in fact, my aunts and uncles. <laughs> so over 40 years, my extended family has built this thing. And it's never going to be the prettiest cabin. The ceilings are still bare drywall but every inch of it has literal blood, sweat, and tears in it. From the crawl spaces that are left open for each new generation of kids to discover as secret passages, to the extended railing we put in a few years ago to make it a little more accessible. It's up a long dirt driveway off a dirt road off a two-lane highway. Heat comes from a wood-burning stove and if you stand on one corner of the deck, you can stretch and get a bar or two of cell phone service. <laughs> Uncle Jack's ashes were spread out back, marked with a simple stone with a bronze plate. Jack Corey, Methodist clergy. I hope someday that I'll join him there. You might recognize this description because this is where I spent some time this summer on study leave planning the congregational year. As it turns out, not having internet and having at best unreliable phone service makes for remarkably, remarkably productive ministry. <laughs> it is a place of refuge for me. It is a place where I know I can go and feel safe, where I am held by my family and the natural surroundings. It is sanctuary me. When we do it well, churches are places of refuge like that. Where we know the blood, sweat, and tears of people we love have built them, and we are safe, held by the embrace of a congregation. Churches have been doing this a long time. Sanctuary is sanctified ground. It is holy. Violence cannot, it has often been said, be allowed to enter. May nothing evil cross this door, we sang this morning. The church is portrayed as a place where you can stumble in on the day that your life hits rock bottom. The things that Pope Francis calls field hospitals for the soul. And Unitarian Universalists, in particular, Unitarian Universalism, has often 
been sanctuary for those for whom broader society is not a safe place, for whom sanctuary is a rare and thus precious thing to find. This is This is a little bit strange for, for me to say because I am a person for whom broadly society is safe. It's not that I haven't had challenges in my life, but I'm a young, relatively healthy white dude. I play life on easy mode, as somebody said once. But I'm a Unitarian, I'm a Universalist through and through, and for a long time, Universalists have been preaching refuge. Refuge from theologies of fear that tell folks that unless you believe in a certain way, you will be punished. That is not universalist. Universalism teaches that grace is sufficient, that it overflows and abounds and cannot, cannot be resisted. Love wins always in the end. And the early universalists would say, this is not a point that Jesus is particularly ambiguous about in his ministry and preaching. Those that he loves most are the ones furthest from the traditional holy lives, lives on the margins, the ones in need of grace, the ones who doubt. So what does that look like in 2018? That opening uh, reading uh, is, the, is the call to worship every Sunday at my home church in Baltimore. Come, come, whoever you are, whatever your age, whatever your skin color, whatever your gender, whomever you love, wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. You are welcome at the table. That is a universalist message for now that all are welcome to this place, all are beloved. And we're standing, we're sitting here in Lincoln, Nebraska, a city that at least in some small part sees refuge and sanctuary as important things. There is a long history <coughs> of refugees settling in Lincoln, Nebraska. Over the last two generations, Refugees from around the world have come to Lincoln to settle and become a part of the community, from Southeast Asia to the Balkans to the Yazidi population from Iraq. You could tell the story of Lincoln in terms of who was coming and when and get a pretty decent sense of how the city has evolved. And we could tell a similar story for Unitarian Universalism. The story of our last two generations has been about how we are drawing the circle of refuge wider, how different groups have found us. You could go back farther than two generations, but in the interests of time, <laughs> we'll focus on the big movements that we could generally say happened in the lifetime of folks in this room. Starting in the 1920s, both the Unitarians and Universalists had major humanist movements within them. By the 1960s, it was fair to say that humanism, and by this we mean a faith that does not require or ask 
for any supernatural beings or acts, was ascendant in our congregation, our congregations as a whole. In swaths of the country, it was expected that you would go to church on Sunday morning, and a safe place to go to church if you were an atheist was the Unitarian or Universalist church. All Souls in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is maybe the great example of it. They preached in the 1960s almost literally in the shadow of Oral Roberts and said, there is a different way. There is a different way to be faithful. So this is still a lot of us. If you're comfortable, raise your hands if this is part of your story. Certainly part of mine. I realized at some point that getting in front of a congregation and reciting the Apostles' Creed was not a thing that I could do with integrity. And so if I was going to do ministry, I was going to do Unitarian Universalist ministry. Another large group of refuge was the connection between Unitarian Universalist churches and the GLBTQ plus community. Other people know this history much better than I. Other people lived this history in a way that I did not. But our congregations were some of the first, not just to grudgingly welcome, but to celebrate and, and yes, revel in the many ways that love expresses itself in our lives. This, too, is alive today as we host PFLAG in a very literal sanctuary. This week marks 20 years since the death of Matthew Shepard just over the border in Wyoming. And while I am conscious of the progress we've made since then, it took me aback this month to learn that this church, we still take active measures to ensure the confidentiality of who comes into the building for PFLAG meetings. Sanctuary is very, very real. One other group is worth mentioning at some length. While our congregation's identification, growing identification, as an LGBTQ-friendly place is primarily about identity, this one is about theology. In the 1990s, Earth-centered religions like Wicca and other neo-pagan groups started to come to Unitarian Universalist congregations for space, other churches were, shall we say, less excited to host them. <laughs> Over the space of a decade, they became integrated into the living tapestry that is Unitarian Universalism, and it is hard to imagine Unitarian Universalist congregations without them. And wow, in that decade were there some arguments between the humanists and the earth-centered religions. There may still be, I would imagine. Because it's hard. This work of being refuge is work. We don't just welcome someone in and then presume that nothing will change for any of us. And in welcoming in different groups, we naturally welcome in different beliefs. 
So we're going to try a little bit of an experiment. Because there's a, a reading that I associate strongly with sanctuary. That was almost the reading prior to the sermon today. And then I decided not to do it and put in John O'Donohue instead and then didn't print out John O'Donohue, so we haven't had that reading yet either. <laughs> but we'll, do, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to them both. Because readings fall differently on different ears. So I want you to close your eyes and think about what your first reactions are to this particular reading. And if they are negative, rest assured that we're going to talk about it and that's okay. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thus ends the reading. All right, so here's the experiment. And it's okay if you don't want to participate. For whom was hearing that psalm spoken in a UU congregation uncomfortable? You can raise your hand. Yeah. For whom was hearing that comfortable? maybe even refreshing. Okay. And how many of you, and it's fine if you're in this group, have no idea what the name of that reading is <laughs> or where to find it in the Bible? Yeah. So this is hard. We have some real disagreements about who we are as Unitarian Universalists, what theologies are comfortable, what are uncomfortable. And to me, this is the genius of this faith, the reason beyond not being able to say the creed that holds me in these spaces. Here we have to work out our shared commitments to be a place of refuge for each other while still having our own individuality, occasionally expressed in passionate disagreements. It's remarkable that we are all here together, that we are all, as the song says, orphaned believers and skeptical dreamers here in this place together. It's also hard in a very specific way. We want our congregations to be places of safety. We want our congregations to be places where nothing evil crosses the door, where every casual corner blooms into a shrine. And yet we know we are imperfect. We are not always as safe as we want to be. 
the, the Me Too movement is not confined to politics and the arts. Sexual harassment has long been a problem in UU congregations. It's been an issue here in Lincoln. We should be honest about that. And people of color have been telling us for years now that they do not always, or sometimes even often, experience Unitarian Universalism as a place that is safe for them. So we should be honest that we have some work to do about this. On a very practical level, we have the Sorensen Lecture tonight. And after the Southern Poverty Law Center agreed to come here, they, they contacted us and asked what our security arrangements were. And the board and the Sorensen Committee took up a very nuanced and difficult conversation as our guest speakers were saying, we are not sure we feel safe. What are you doing for security? In the end, we made the decision to have the Lincoln Police Department here with us tonight. And I understand that for some folks in this congregation, that was not a decision that helps them to feel safe. And I understand that for some, including our speaker's organization, this is a gesture of respect and of refuge. This stuff is hard to hold. But welcome is present, welcome must be present in everything that we do. Here's what the, the Reverend Victoria Safford had to say about the role of church in our lives and in society. The church exists to hold and to sanctify our sorrows and our joys, to set these in the context of universal human suffering and universal gladness, to name and bless our memories of the past, our history, and to bless our remembered, reconstructed vision of the future. When in distraction or despair, we lose track of what that vision is, or where we're trying to go one by one and together. The church blesses the memory of our future and our past and calls us to live up to both. Within the confines of its walls, and regardless of its walls, the agenda of the church is infinite and eternal. The church holds within the architecture of its building and the architecture of its worship, in every wedding and in every dedication of each child, in rituals of coming of age, and in every funeral, every vigil, every time a committee lights a little chalice. The church holds the arc of history, time out of time, so that we can move with integrity and joy through these times, our own times, which are rough and tumble times, but maybe no more so than other times, other generations. Ever and always, the church is a clearing in the wilderness. We hold something permanent here. This is me, not Victoria Safford. Theodore Parker, the 19th century Unitarian, talked about the transient and permanent in religion. He was talking about Christianity, and he said that there are core messages of love at the heart of that faith that are permanent, 
while, as he said, what is falsehood in one province passes for truth in another. The heresy of one age is the orthodox belief of the next and the only infallible rule of the next. The transient passes on, the permanent is eternal. And I'm guessing when somebody, some theologian more accomplished than I, writes the transient and permanent in Unitarian Universalism, our sense of refuge, our sense of sanctuary and safety for those in need, that will be one of the infinite and eternal ideals held into the architecture of our buildings, our worship and ourselves. Amen and blessed be.